This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Fred Schilmover. He's the CEO and co-founder of Insight Squared up there in Boston. He's helped grow the sales intelligence company from a single spreadsheet into one of Boston's premier tech startups. Fred, are you ready to take us to the top? Uh, excited to be here. Thank you. All right. Boston's hot. So many good companies up there. Yesware, many, many others. Wistia, a lot of, uh, you know, all kinds of guys. What, uh, what does Insight Square do and what's your business model? How do you make money? Yeah. Uh, so the, the way I like to describe Insight Squared really simply is we provide all the reporting that for whatever reason, Salesforce doesn't. Um, you know, we focus in areas around helping companies with forecasting, uh, getting the most out of their pipeline, doing data-backed rep coaching, and preparing for, you know, board meetings and QBRs and that type of thing. So basically specialists uh, in the sales operations realm. And what's the business model? Is it pure SaaS? Yeah, it's a subscription service, uh, pure SaaS. And can you give us a sense generally of customer size or SMB enterprise or bigger? What do they pay you on average per month, would you say? It's it's really a range. I mean, we started uh, with with SMB, and as our product uh, matured, we're working with a lot of you know small enterprises. We've got you know publicly traded companies like Bizarre Voice. We've got great brand names like uh, Gainsight and Pendo that are still privately traded. But really across the gamut, the way I like to describe it is: if you have Salesforce.com and you have salespeople, you should probably be using Insight Squared. Okay, and if I forced you to pick an average, what would you say the average customer is signing up for for you know annually I- or monthly? Yeah, I'd say that the the sweet spot for us is sort of 25 to 200 employees is where the majority of our customers uh, are. And what does that typically translate to in terms of ACV? Uh, so, you know, we, we don't share our pricing uh, publicly, but uh, happy to happy to have that conversation with anyone who gives us a call. Uh, why don't you do, I mean, you have a plans page. Why don't you put out some of the pricing and stuff publicly? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I think there's a lot of more e-commerce, self-service, you know, buy on the website type businesses uh, that publish that. We like to tailor the solution based on the customer's needs. So uh, it's, a, it's a decision we made not to put the pricing up there. Sometimes, Fred, people will look at that and they'll go, oh, what they want to do is they're actually charge everyone differently. They want to get a call on a sales rep so the sales rep can make sure they get all the money possible they can for me. How do you avoid that thought process? Yeah, so I, I don't think that's actually that realistic because we sell to a really uh, to to a market that interacts with one another. Like we're going to Dreamforce next week. We're going to have a huge presence there. Uh, you know, Salesforce has 150,000 cu- customers, but really great community. So uh, I, I think that uh, that wouldn't fall in line with uh, w- with our company values. I think really it's all around. Um, and also companies can look at the types of businesses that are on our website from uh, a testimonials perspective and see their businesses like them. Uh, you know, one of the things we pride ourselves on, quite frankly, is actually being quite affordable. You know, historically, uh, the, so Fred, the give me the we- minimum. Look, I'm also trying to help you here because my audience is, is large in the millions and I want the right ones to reach out to you. What's the lowest price people can get started with you on typically? 
Yeah. So I, listen, I really, really. I mean, listen, Fred, are we talking like, like are we talking a dollar, a thousand dollars, a million dollars, like a general range, make it as big as you want. I don't, I don't really care, but I'm trying to help here. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate it. I think, you know, what, one of the things we do is, is, is historically business intelligence has been this absolutely Herculean effort in terms of cost and the amount of service it takes to support it, really pricing out the vast majority of our customers. Uh, so we pride ourselves on, on being really affordable there. Hey, again, Fred, people don't know what that means. Is it? Give me an underprice if that's easier, like under a million people can get started yeah, under a hundred thousand. Like, yeah, give me we, some we, range. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pre- appreciate you asking, asking the question, but uh, yeah, certainly we we don't charge the millions. Uh, our customers can afford that. So, okay, got it. That's helpful to understand. People don't have the context you have, right? So it's my job to kind of get that out. So, okay, we understand that. We understand a little bit there about pricing. Tell me more about the growth story. What year did you launch the company in? Yes, yeah, so we launched the company uh, right in January of 2011. Okay, and have you decided to bootstrap the company or raise? Uh, yeah, no, we, we've we've raised we raised venture capital right from the beginning. So uh, we have fantastic investors here in Boston. Uh, so we raised a million dollars in venture capital coming out, out of the gate, and have raised 27 million dollars in total. Mm-hmm. And why why out of the gate did you do that? I mean, did you have an exit before this that made it easy for you to do that? So you said other people's money makes more sense. Uh, no, quite, quite frankly, uh, you know, we, we wanted to get off to a running start and build a team. And, uh, I have fantastic co-founders that I started the business with. How many? Uh, so it was three of us. So two other co-founders and, you know, quite frankly, they, they had fantastic opportunities that they were in and, and families uh, to feed. So, uh, you know, we, we needed to, uh, raise money out of the gate. Okay. I mean, a lot of people would hear that and go, Hey, well, listen, we, we had the same problem, but we figured out a way to make it work and bootstrap for the first two years and then went out and raised, you know, a hundred million bucks. We just had the, the guys actually at Qualtrics on right before you. And they bootstrapped for 10 years for a family of four before hitting, you know, 50 million in revenue to that. So, I mean, is there, there must be, give me some more detail there. What's an, I mean, is there another reason? And, and if so, how were you actually able to get that check right out of the gate? Yeah, so uh, I think two two things. One, there there's a trade off you have to make in terms of uh, you know growth. So that if you raise money, you're able to build a team more quickly and grow more quickly. It also depends on individuals' uh, personal means. So you know it's fantastic for for those guys to have gotten that far without raising money. Uh, certainly amazing from them from an individual dilution perspective and puts them in a real position of strength when you have substantial revenue and you goes to go to raise your uh, first institutional capital. Yep. Uh, it, it depends on, I think, individuals' personal situations um, and the team that, that that we had and what we wanted to to build. Um, you know, th- that wasn't an option for. On the flip side, uh, you know, you mentioned being bootstrapped for ten years. So part of the the trade off of not raising venture capital is you're not able to make these you know, big investments. We made a pretty big investment in R&D for the first number of years of Insight Squared that fundamentally we wouldn't be able to do if we were if we were bootstrapping. Interesting. Um, wh- it's hard to convince a ten-person engineering team to to come join and, and and work for work for Sweat Equity alone. Yeah, no, it makes it makes makes a lot of sense. Um, take us through to where you are today. So you started with three of you guys uh, back many years ago. Where are you at today in terms of team size? Yeah, so the companies were around uh, 135 people uh, based here in 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 Copley Square. We've got everybody you know, there in Boston. Uh, most everyone, we have a few remote folks who started with us here and for personal reasons moved and, uh, you know, we mutually decided to, to work, continue working together. So we have a handful of those folks, but, uh, we've decided to co-locate the team. 
You doubled headcount in 2015, which was after your latest round of funding in 2014, and then moved into a bigger space and, and laid people off according to some sources, Boston, et cetera. Um, I don't want to talk about strategically why you did that because you have obviously good reasons for it, but from an emotional perspective, other founders listening manage layoffs all the time. I'd love to hear from you how you manage that from an emotional perspective in terms of communication with the team. Yeah, a really good question. And definitely, you know, w- w- there was a point in time there when we got a little bit over our skis in terms of the rate of growth. Um, and ultimately, that that responsibility uh, li- lies with me. And, and, and uh, you know, of course, disappointing people is a really difficult decision. I, I never want to get that LinkedIn flag that says you're, you know, you're you're great at layoffs. That's not not a skill I want to have. But at the same time, you know, part of our core values are are treating, you know, I, I want this to be the best place any of our team has ever worked. I say that to people at every all hands meetings. We we've won, um, you know, every single year since founding, we we've won a best place to work award, and that uh, extends to the people who aren't are no longer here. So I think we treated people w- w- with a lot of respect and sort of made an adjustment there where uh, we were a little bit ahead of our skis and you know eventually companies need to need to uh, be, be profitable and we've been really focusing on um, how do we how do we grow the business in a sustainable manner and I, I think you know the fact that we've been able to grow for this long without raising additional capital is probably a good external I- indicator of that mm-hmm why do you say that? Some people look at that same thing and say, hey, if you raise capital on day one and you've raised 27 million cents, you better be on a track where you're raising significant capital almost every you know, 16 or 12 to 18 months and, and IPOing because there's a time bomb on it. So some would argue they haven't raised in a lot. They're actually struggling. I argue the counterpoint. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it probably depends on your investors. If the investors are putting pressure on you to get their capital back, um, that's cert- that certainly may be the case. You know, we've got we've got an amazing set of investors who are are patient and see the huge opportunity here. So, uh, you know, the, the, there's a correction point that that we've had to make, and you know, I'm pretty pr- proud of the business growth that we've had over the last couple of years, and uh, want to continue that. When you say correction point, are you referring to the aggressive growth and you had to pare back and kind of? Get exactly. the economics. Okay, got it. And so how close would you say is it's going to happen in the next 12 months, 24 months? How close are you to profitability? Yeah, so I mean, that, that's a, I think very few people would want to talk about you know their PL on a podcast. Oh, actually, we've had about a thousand SaaS CEOs on. Almost all of them actually jump into some lessons around profitability. Uh, in fact, it's all published in a database at gitlatka.com. But je- I mean, if you don't want to talk about specifically about that, tell us how you're driving towards that. Obviously, you cut costs significantly. Uh, the other lever that you pull is obviously driving top line. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I think I, I look at how much bigger of a of a business we have now from a revenue and customer base perspective, uh, with relatively you know similar, slightly higher headcount. And part of that has been uh, you know something we, we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, which is the maturity of the product. So, um, as our product has matured, we've been able to work with larger and larger organizations, and that's helped uh, to grab uh, drive a significant portion of our growth. Back in 2012, there was a lot of kind of exits in this space. When you look at the Buddy Media's obviously sale, the Wildfire sale to Google, Vitru and Volver sales, uh, you guys kind of touched social back then. Why, why did you not sell then? I know it was only a year or two after you founded, but why not sell then? Yeah, I'm not sure. So it's it's really interesting. This. Your comment brings me back to some conversations I've had in my career with venture capitalists when they say, you know, like, oh, the analytics space, that's a really crowded space. And it's like saying, well, you know, software, that's a really crowded space. Those those companies you mentioned, I 
don't see a lot of interconnect with us and them. Like we're, we're the, we, we straddle two categories. Yep. One is uh, analytics, business intelligence more broadly. And the other is, uh, you know, because we're the only sales analytics company or the only uh, analytics and BI company that's sort of picked a major and said, we're going to be uh, subject matter experts in a particular area, our area is sales. I think we also straddle this other ca- category of uh, sales enablement, sales intelligence. So none of those companies fit into those categories. But what I will say is, you know, over the past few years, we've seen a huge growth in in sales-oriented technology, and that's because sales is going through, uh, you know, a similar shift maybe 10 years later than, than marketing went through, going into digital. And you saw this explosion in mar- of marketing technology companies. Uh, I think you're seeing a similar explosion in the opportunity to create efficiency in sales. So that that that's that's a that's a trend that I think we're we're still early in. Okay, Top Tribe. Many of you ask me all the time, how did I get my website up so fast, so quickly, and why is it doing so well? The answer is simple. I use HostGator.com to keep the thing cranking along. They've got a 45-day money-back guarantee, which is great. I used their free website builder to get the site up because it's ideal for WordPress. It's just what I use. They've got 4,500 templates and a free e-commerce plugin as well and 24-7 support, which we love, right? We love that. I bug the hell out of them. They always get back to me. So I've got you 30% off along with $100 in free AdWords credit. To grab it, just go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. But you got to do it now. Again, HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. So Fred, tell me more about why you see yourself as kind of the only one in the kind of this space where you said you've kind of picked a focus and gone all in. There's other companies like Mattermark, which, you know, she, Danielle came on recently and they were started as kind of BI stuff only and now have really moved only to kind of sales and sales data. And now they're playing pretty aggressively in the space. So, so, and the reason, by the way, she shared is it's the whole attribution thing. It's easy for you to justify your price when you can tie it back to a salesperson and attribution. Yep. Yeah. I think Mattermark, so I, I wouldn't say we're the we're the only company in the space. What what I did say is we're 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 the only company in the analytics and BI space that's picked a major, and that major is sales. And as a result, I think that that's why we're uniquely positioned in that market. But we are part of this broader market of sales technology, and Mattermark's a good example. There there are lots of if I. If I asked you five years ago, if I asked the CEO five years ago, tell me what your sales tech stack looked like, they'd look at me like I have two heads and say, what do you mean, salesforce.com? Uh, and the reality is now, you know, we're, we're a great example. Uh, you know, we, we use, you know, three or four different data providers. We don't use Mattermark, but we use other other competing uh, tools. Are you talking um, like Clearbit, Full Contact, some of these enrichment tools? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, on yeah, we 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 focus a lot on the quality of our data. We have an account-based market and account-based sales strategy, which means that uh, the quality of our database has to be really high. So we have uh, you know a lot of work going into that. There's all sorts of lead routing and and uh, you know we we use tools to do account-based scoring. So. Uh, if I look at just at Insight Squared, like the amount of sales tools we use has exploded over the years since we've been founded, and um, that I think we're early in that market. And I, I made the—I I don't know if the audio came through. I made the connection back to marketing technology. I think sales is sort of you know five to ten years behind 
uh, marketing in this this uh, revolution that we're seeing and how sales can be done, the move from field sales to inside sales, this consumerization of IT where software that used to be millions of dollars uh, is now uh, you know hundreds or tens of, of thousands of dollars and is being able is sold over the phone or through video. You know, we're talking over Skype. We use Zoom. We use you know Chorus in, uh, to to do coaching and and uh, machine learning and and uh, around uh, the, the things that are being said. So there's a lot of optimization that's happening in sales. And uh, I think we're early in, in the life cycle of that. You launched in 2011, obviously no customers there when you get going. What have you grown to today in terms of total customers using your platform? Yeah, so we're, we're over the 750 mark in terms of customers. Okay, and would you categorize most of those as kind of mid-market or enterprise or more SMB? I'd say, uh, you know, our sweet spot now is mid-market. Obviously, we, our, our roots, we started an SMB, and I'm pretty passionate of uh, sort of rooting for the underdog. Yep. Um, and, but over, over time, as the power of our platform has increased, uh, we've worked with a lot more um, a lot more enterprises, a lot more publicly traded companies. That's great. Have you passed the $15 million ARR mark yet? Uh, so, yeah, we, 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 don't share, we don't share revenue numbers. Do you think you'll do it this year? <laughs> Same answer. All right, Fred, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Um, I think uh, I, I, I read Ben Horowitz's Hard Thing About Hard Things a couple of years ago and just remember unlike any other business book, what in it, like how, how much it really pushed, pulled on my emotional uh, strings. So anyone who's in this business, uh, I think has to read that book. My favorite line in that book was if you're going to eat shit, don't nibble. <laughs> I read, a lot of good- as a CEO, I read that and I said, fuck yes. I mean, that is it, right? There's a lot of good one-liners. Yeah. All right. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Yeah, I think there. Can I cheat and give you two? Sure. Um, so the obvious one, I mean, in our space, is Mark Benioff. I mean, just in terms of uh, what a, what thought leadership and trailblazing Salesforce has done. Uh, so uh, that's an obvious person to follow. The other one, who uh, who's sort of investor newsletters I love to read, is is Jeff Bezos. Uh, in terms of the way they do decision making, and uh, it's it's been fantastic. It's, he's he's a guy who's quoted a lot in our executive team and leadership team meetings. Uh, third question here, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool? Um, you know, I, I've got four tabs open, you know, Gmail, Salesforce, uh, Insight Squared, and may, maybe occasionally Facebook. So uh, th- those are my tools. Number uh, four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, I, I if, if you don't get eight hours of sleep, I don't know how you function. <laughs> and what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? Uh, married with kids. I go to sleep really early. I wake up really early. How many kids? Go- uh, two kids, two okay. and four. Oh, wow. I try to get... I try to get out of the house before anyone's awake uh, and be home for dinner. And how old are you? 41. All right, last question. Take us back 21 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Um, how, I wish my 20-year-old self knew that decisions weren't based on, uh, on, on data. Decisions are all emotional. And it's not about, uh, it's not just about the, the merit of how hard you've worked or how good your product is or what it says on your resume. Everything is done based on relationships. Uh, and, you know, being an analytical guy, starting an analytics company, obviously I, I value rationality. Uh, human beings are not rational. 
There you guys have it from Fred. Remember, don't lie to yourself. Human beings are not rational. He founded his company back in 2011 with a million bucks in initial capital. He since raised 27 million bucks, got a little aggressive a few years ago, did a reset about, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. Now at about 135 people all there in Boston playing again in the sales and sales enrichment space specifically. They passed 750 customers, mid-market and really enterprise focused, uh, growing aggressively. Fred, thank you so much for taking us to the top. Pleasure to be here. Thank you.